Hello, my name is James McDermott. I'm a writer, teacher and 26-year-old cisgendered man. As a gay man, I love men, but as a gay man, I dislike men too. As a camp man who talks and writes about his feelings, I have always questioned stereotypical masculine ideals. As stereotypical men aren't camp, don't talk about their feelings and certainly don't create plays and poems about them. As a 26-year-old, I feel I've learned and unlearned lots about being a man, but at 26, still have lots to learn and unlearn about being my own kind of man. In this podcast series, I will talk with several people to explore masculinity, try and work out why we love and hate men, whether there are such things as masculine ideals, how creativity can help men explore and express themselves, and what men still have to learn and unlearn about being their own kind of man. In this episode, I'm joined by David Whitney. David, hello. Hello. Can we start by asking you to say a little bit about yourself and what made you want to come on to the podcast today? Sure. Well, um, professionally, I work as a theatre director. I do a lot of work with young people and with communities in, in my practice. And I, I wanted to come on to the podcast, really, because um, I've been listening to some of your previous series and I've really found them quite illuminating and quite interesting and enriching um, from the point of view of my sort of path and uh, what I've discovered about myself. Uh, And I think on the advent of me turning 30 this year, um, a lot of things have kind of become a lot clearer in my life and I've I've, I've kind of got a lot more clarity and kind of who I think I am, what I stand for um, and the values and morals that I stand by. And I just think I'd quite like to share aspects of my story with other people because um, I don't know many people who've had a similar experience to what I've had. But I'd like to think that if anyone out there is having a similar experience to what I've had, that they can uh, gain some solace and insight and know that they're not that they're not on their own with it. And I think that's the whole point of this podcast is to provide that comfort and to educate and to um, provide that. Uh, warmth. What an answer full of intrigue that I now want to unpack to find out what you've learned about yourself on that 30-year journey. So let's let's start at the beginning of things and can you remember uh, your relationship with masculinity and identity and gender around six years old? Were you privy of what it meant to be a boy? Did you feel like you were a boy or any pressure to be a certain type of boy? What was your relationship with gender at that age? So at uh, six years old, um, so I was an only child, so I didn't have any sort of older brothers or younger brothers to kind of, uh, you know, play with in that sense. Although I did have friends at primary school. Uh, six years old was quite interesting time because at six I lost my nana on my dad's side uh, and I was very close to my nana. Uh, remember, even now, like when I think about her. I was very, very close to her, and even though I know I only knew her for six years, so I think I was dealing with a bit of that on that year, that idea of loss. But from a masculinity point of view, and being a, a boy, I, I think I was just into things that most boys that age were into. Um, I, I guess I was just quite happy. I was quite a happy child. I think, uh, you know, if you speak to my mum and dad, like they would say, I was quite a happy child. I was very quite confident and quite quite gobby at times I think and uh you know 
um, I used to love, I used to love like uh, play acting and role playing a lot when I was a kid, like lots of kids do. And there's old home videos of me at sort of six, seven, eight. Uh, one of the earliest memories I have is I used to wear my dad's apron as a cape in the kitchen and sing ABBA. So I would sing, um, I think the song was uh, Ring by ABBA. And uh, I would uh, dress up as Freddie Mercury and uh, mince around the lounge as him. And I would do all sorts of, <laughs> of weird and wonderful things. I was always, I was always, the, the lounge in parts of my house became stages throughout. So no wonder I ended up working in the theatre industry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was quite happy. I, I quite enjoyed being six and I wasn't really that, uh, I just I just enjoyed being six really and being a boy. I, th I think I, I don't think anything really kind of came into it in that sense. That makes me very happy to hear that you were happy at around six because we've spoken to so many people who were already starting to have discomfort around being a man or uh, ideas of gender around that age. How did your parents respond to your kind of singing ABBA songs and Freddie Mercury? Were they really encouraging of? Kind of you're performing that. How did your parents respond to you expressing yourself like that at six? And were you aware that you were playing Freddie Mercury, you weren't playing a footballer, for instance? Were you privy to those things? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, a lot of my my uh, my mates at school are into football. I mean, I, m my dad, bless him, really did try, I think, when I was growing up to get me into sport. Not because he felt like that's what a man had to do, but just because I think, well, he's really heavily into sport himself. And I think it was just one of those things. I never felt a pressure. Um, it was just something I just wasn't, A, wasn't very good at. And uh, B, just didn't particularly enjoy going out on a February morning um, in the cold. Um, and so I, I never really, um, I never really uh, sort of, um, was swayed by that uh but my my dad would show me clips of freddie mercury at live aid and stuff and my dad was a huge queen fan my mum would 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 i'd watch with mum things like calamity jane when growing up and uh the sound of music uh was one of my favorites and uh <laughs> i think they've said to me in, the, in, in like you know more recently years like They've got a lot to like answer to for the way I've turned up out, <laughs> but, uh, but in a nice way, do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing kind of really masculine in that household in that sense. It's, I don't think we've talked about this. No kind of private conversations away from this podcast about our, our kind of time around six. But I think hearing that mine was really similar. Dad wasn't particularly sporty, whereas your dad was, and never he kind of encouraged it will buy me a football but it never really went beyond that nor was the pressure and um, yeah just similarly mum was raising me on sitcoms and strong women in victoria wood or uh, oliver and annie and all those things and then they turned around at 18 and said i don't know why you're camp i really can't work out where it's come from <laughs> so, so moving on to those teenagers and let's say around 16 by that time how would your relationship with uh masculinity identity sexuality changed if it had changed oh it changed quite dramatically i think at 16 um i felt very different very much an outcast i was uh, college was quite a, an eye-opening experience i went to college when i was 16 and by that point at, at high school i'd gone through a, a quite a troubling few years of, of, of being bullied a lot being called gay a lot and all those kind of horrible things that you have to sort of experience through high school 
character building, I think they call it now. And um, yeah, so by 15 and stuff, I think I was felt very different. I just I just knew there was something different about me. I didn't know what it was. Didn't know quite know how to compartmentalize it and all the rest of it. And um, at 16, I remember. I, I think I remember being attracted to men. I, I remember that sort of feeling of enjoying their company and wanting to be like them or be around them. And there was definitely something there, but I couldn't quite kind of pigeonhole it, I guess. It was, it was a weird sort of thing. Um, and a, a lot of my peers at that time as well were, were were quite out and proud and stuff like that. And I think I think I felt like I had to sort of, fit in with that stereotype a little bit and 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 be part of the and be a bit different you know and be a bit flamboyant and I remember when I was 16 I um back in the days with VHS tapes there was a program on channel four called um gay to z um and it was um it it was recorded first thing in the morning or something I, it was on the first in the morning and I thought I saw it advertised I thought right and it basically was like, a, it was like, it went through like the alphabet kind of thing, but it was kind of like all the things you need to know about being gay. And like, if you're confused about being gay, this is what you need to sort of, what, like, what we're going to tell you about. It was for teenagers, quite sort of, you know, um, forward thinking for the time, I guess. And so I thought, wait, well, I'll secretly record this program on the VHS tape whilst I'm at college. And then when I get home, I will then secretly like get it out and I'll secretly watch it. So I had it all set out in my mind about how I'm going to do it all. And uh, I get a phone call at college in the middle of the day. And um, and my mum says, oh, what have you been recording on, on telly this morning? I was like, oh. Um, and then suddenly I go bright red and fluster. I then end up saying, oh, it, it was um, it was a documentary about Fred Dibner for dad. Yeah. And um, <laughs> this is a true story. I don't think I've ever told you this before. No. And um, yeah. No. Um, so then I come back in the evening and it's the, the atmosphere in the house is quite icy. Um, I'm sure mum and dad would sort of feel quite bad if they knew that. But it was icy. I think they were confused. I was confused. There was a lot of things left unsaid. And we had this whole conversation where essentially I came out to them in that sense. I, I came out um, and, and said, I think this is what I think I am. And they were quite concerned, I think, and weren't really sure if I knew exactly what I was saying. And and I think by the end of that conversation, I kind of convinced myself that I wasn't gay, but I was bisexual. Um, and I think I kind of like I kind of came out of the door and went, oh, I'll, I'll, actually, I'm going to keep one foot in for a while. You know, so that's kind of what happened at 16. But I definitely knew that was a, there was a change in me. And I think I was just trying to express that. And um I had no one to talk to about it and uh, and I guess and so or, or to try and sort of express what it was I was feeling it was really hard to do that and anyway I I know it's kind of going ahead a little bit but I kind of went back in the closet in some respects and then I came out again more formally and more kind of like with with pride and with like this is who I am by 18 but by that point, I think my mum and dad had got used to the idea of homosexuality or whatever, and they'd seen it more in the culture and in the zeitgeist and stuff. And I, they 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 accepted it very openly and and, and warmly. Um, it was during an episode of Midsummer Murders, which they paused for me to tell them about it. And um, 
And um, yeah, it's funny how the, you pick your moments, don't you? I'm still giggling away about the Fred Dibbler line. I think so much I want to unpack in it and so much I empathise with. I'm kind of moved and annoyed by the fact that I too had a coming out at 16 to parents and then they kind of taught me into thinking it was bisexuality as well because they couldn't deal with it and then kind of came out fully at 18 after going to uni. I remember being being there for the first week and I'd already started dating my first boyfriend within that first week of uni and I phoned mum and said, oh, I've met a lovely girl. And she said, it's a boy, isn't it? I said, yes. And that was how it was done. So I think, I, yeah, I, it's lovely to know that you had a similar experience and I wasn't alone in kind of parents confusing me into thinking I'm bisexual for two years but also annoyed that we were both almost denied that truth a little bit earlier. And similarly, just having those experiences where you secretly record things on video, I feel that's such a 90s kid thing. I used to record episodes of Footballers Wires before I went to bed because I knew the actors playing the footballers would be in the showers nude and it would be the only way of kind of seeing a naked man pre-internet. Uh, and whilst I was never caught, I was never caught doing it, I remember kind of coming home to watch them, and it was a secretive, guilt-laden thing, which is really sad in hindsight as well that our explorations of sexuality had to be so furtive. You said you'd felt stirring. You by sixteen, you knew you had stirrings, and that kind of really nicely expressed sentiment that you wanted to be like and be around men. When in your life did you think they emerged? Do you think they emerged at sixteen, or were they there, kind of? No, they, they were there much earlier. I think kind of year nine, year 10 at school. So what's that, like 13, maybe 14? Possibly even earlier, but not really kind of giving it that sort of much thought. I think I just knew I was different or a little bit, I wasn't quite the, wasn't quite the same as others, but I didn't know what that meant or why that was different. Um, and then I think I discovered this term and, this this lifestyle and I thought I think I just hooked onto it because I thought oh maybe that's what it is um without kind of really knowing all the you know the details of, of what that actually meant I think I just thought oh this is what I'll be this is the this is the armor that I'll put on you know for, for a while and, and and see how that feels and then it was quite interesting because once I kind of made that decision I was then quite popular and then you know, I was known for being the witty, you know, raconteur at lunchtime or whatever, or the one with it that made the sort of slightly bitchier side or slightly gossipy queen. You know, I, I actually turned into a stereotype that I, I would hate to sort of think I was like that now. But I think it was just all about finding out who I was and, and, and trying to, you know, compete, I guess, with, with my peers and compete to the, for that sort of top dog. Like, if okay, you can be camper, I can be camper, you know, I can I can go one step further, etc, etc. And I would wear makeup and I would wear mascara, etc, etc. Yeah, I think that's beautifully expressed and I think it's come through uh, in everyone we've talked to about 16, irrespective of sexual identity, that sense of, be it playing that macho man or that camp man as we did that's we were all trying on masks in the hope of finding our own face if you like that sense of we were all embodying what people told us we should be positively or negatively in the hope of finding out who we were uh so let's talk now then kind of beyond 16 into your 20s what did that look like in terms of leaving college uh, i know you went to drama school what was happening with your relationship with gender and sexuality as you went through those institutions 
Um, so by the time I'd left college and going into, when I moved to London when I was, um, well, actually, no, I, I first went to university for a year, then dropped out. Uh, very much lived a gay lifestyle for that year. Dated guys, we just that that was it. That was my life, and I was starting to discover what that lifestyle meant. I think, and what what, and I think a lot a lot of it. I think I was just attracted to the hedonistic way of like you know meet you know pulling people in clubs or like you know uh, whatever it might. I think there was part of me that in, that that was quite attracted by the grandeur of it. I think I was just doing my own thing in London. I was just I was too busy trying to get into like the nice the, the nice private clubs and the you know going down into Soho and like that I was like these are more my people. These the, I want to be out here with these people. I don't want to be you know in walkabout. Um, I don't want to be in you know the spoons, be living a student life. I want to live like the life where I can go to fancy hotels or I can go to fancy bars and have cocktails with interesting sophisticated people this is all what was in my head at the time you know um and I think I loved that I think I, I, London was just absolutely you know from a ladder I, you know I come originally from Salford quite a you know working class background and family and I think London was just like my jaw just kind of hit the floor when I went to London and I just kind of ran with it really um yeah, so I just really kind of, I, I indulged too much, I think, in London. I think I was burning the candle at both ends quite a lot. And I think that, I think because I've done, I did all that, though, I think, I think that's kind of, you know, got that out of my system a little bit, you know. I was just going to say, I think that sense of overindulgence is really common when gay people kind of leave school, LGBTQ people leave school, because childhood is so barren to some extent where all your peers who are straight can explore themselves very publicly, encouraged by everybody. I think there is that sense of excess when you're kind of let off the lead in the playground of University of London. And to make me feel better and less of an outsider, I'm going to pretend I'm above everyone. And that's why I want to be in these clubs and these private members clubs and do my own thing and all that stuff. I think kind of you can wear your outsiderness. It can either make you feel really small or make you play really big. Yeah, I think it was complete rebellion. And more I think about it, but you know like like a lot of like these sort of big events and stuff and these big things that you do eventually that the, the flame does peter out can you remember who or what changed that and made you kind of leave that lifestyle or curtail that lifestyle and mellow into uh, a more mature version of yourself which is who i met initially when we met about four or five years ago um i think for me it was definitely um moving out of London um so kind of 24 25 I was in a relationship at the time um and I moved to Suffolk uh because my partner at the time had got a job in Suffolk and I think I'd got a bit kind of tired of London um wasn't earning a great deal of money financially I was a bit all over the place and that even actually carried on into Suffolk for some time and I'm only now at 30 really kind of dealing with the the result of that indulgent lifestyle and I, anyone who's listening or anyone who's younger listening do be careful if you're going to go down that path because um it can get you you can it can really fuck you up later on in your life coming to Suffolk I I think I can you know the quietness and the rural kind of lifestyle and peace I, I remember when I first went to Suffolk I just slept I just remember sleeping so heavily like I've never slept before 
and I, I after going from job to job, I, I uh, this uh, I met an amazing woman called Karen Simpson, who sadly is no longer with with us. Uh, and she was my first real mentor, really, in life, uh, you know, in the professional world. And she took a chance on me. It just made me reevaluate kind of what my purpose is and what I want to do. Um, and I, I just threw all my energy into my work and working with young people and communities and changing lives in that way. And I think all the um, flamboyancy, indulgence, hedonism, whatever you want to call it, just kind of didn't interest me in the same way. Mm, thank you for sharing that. So that feels like a nice place to bring us to where you're at now at 13. You started the podcast by saying you feel like you've reached a place of real serenity within yourself and a real sense of understanding. Can I ask you to talk about that journey then from late 20s to where you're at now? <sighs> right, settle in. Because um, <laughs> a lot changed change between the ages of... Um, 28 to in, actually in the past two or three years so towards the end of my last major relationship that relationship actually lasted for about 10 years um I think more and more I was coming to the conclusion and the idea that I'm I, I just didn't feel like I was fully gay yeah it's a weird thing to sort of talk about really because it, it, it completely took me sort of left field and I remember that very vividly, I moved back to Manchester for a time and I went to a house party with my then partner and the the house party was full of gay men, LGBT people and stuff like that. And I just sat there with my glass of wine and I felt like, you know, 19-year-old David would, would have adored this, you know. This would have been his scene. And I just sat there and I just thought, I don't belong just because it didn't feel like it was a world that I recognized anymore. It was weird. Anyway, that relationship broke down because I, I think I, I, you know, like I say, because it was a 10 year relationship. I'd started it at kind of 18 and ended it. So I started it off as a, as a boy and ended up a man. And I think more and more, I was just attracted by the idea that I wasn't, I wasn't fully gay. Cut to being 30 now, I'm now in a relationship with a girl, very happy. It's changed, it's completely changed me. Um, and it's been a very odd experience in that sense, just because it's been so, just so like, um, just, just life-changing, I guess. And I think I've just learnt more to love David for David rather than David has to be this or David has to be that or whatever and and I think you know I've gone through a period where I just don't want to you know I don't want to be a box on an in a, in a you know a diversity form I don't want to do that um I just want to be David um but I guess if if people were to push me you know to say what you stand for now I think the only term that kind of really plays into how I feel and what I am is probably this idea of pansexuality, which um, sounds like a very woke thing to say, doesn't it, in 2020? But it's true because I, I genuinely feel that as a person, I, I'm attracted to people rather than sex. I, I, I think it's the people that you fall in love with and the character and, the, and stuff. And I just think you shouldn't rule anything out. I remember when I, when I got with my current uh, partner, 
my mum and dad said to me, I told them about it, and they just they were just like, I think they initially they were like, oh okay, um, that's interesting, different. Like, will you go back to guys again? Do you think, or will you do this? And and I just and I just said to them, I don't know. So I, I well, first of all, I hope not. I hope that the relationship I'm with is long lasting and 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 life affirming, and that's why I'm in a relationship because I want it to last and grow and develop and. But, you know, if that relationship was to break down and I was to do something else, you know, we were someone else in the future, that, you know, I'm not going to rule that out because that person might just be the best thing ever. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of where I stand on it now. I, I just, so much changed. And I think I just lost a lot of things when, I, when that last relationship broke down and I just kind of did a real sort of long, hard look at myself, my life and, where I was and I had to do a lot of kind of building from scratch really um lost a lot of friends lost a lot of lost my job um financially was up shit creek without a paddle um and so I just had to go I just had to kind of really hang on to those fundamental parts of me that still made me feel worthwhile and I think that's kind of why I I have survived in that way to where I am today. Um, and I'm very I'm very happy and content in what where I am. But it, it's it's taken a lot of work for me to get to that stage. Thank you so much. It's just lovely to uh, really hear it and kind of be renourished by it, if you like that sense of you've had such a blossoming in the last couple of years. That said, you've just said things in there that we haven't talked about privately before that have made me kind of reflect on my own journey a little bit. That sense of whether, because we were told we were gay so young, before we discovered who we were, uh, there is a sense of maybe we kind of wore that identity a little too soon without fully exploring other avenues. Can I ask a little more about that? I've thought at length about this before and chatted with other gay men about this, that sense of, I think I'm definitely very gay intellectually in that sense. I'm really drawn to the culture, really drawn to the texts, really drawn to that camp lifestyle and the sense of humour. And I think maybe a little more so than I am physically. Do you think there was that sense with you when you were younger? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think you've kind of really kind of hit on it there. I think I, I would, I would read wild. I would, you know, uh, like I said, I talked about Freddie Mercury or whatever, and 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 the and obviously being a theatre maker, working in the theatre and the arts, you know, very much that was it. I think you're right. I think I, there is a part of me that thinks, well, maybe I wore it too soon, uh, that, that armour too soon. But at the time, it felt like so right. It felt so comfortable at the time that I didn't want to like change it up again like I, I i still say i'm i'm camped you know like you know i say i say to my current partner it's like you know you know i'm very camp like <laughs> like are you sure you want to be with me because i'm not really a man's man do you know what i mean i'm not really like your gym toting protein shaking man do you know what i mean I, I i'm i'm david who plays piano does magic tricks and uh is a bit camp and a bit silly and a bit eccentric and a bit witty and a bit sort of a bit you know and you know, she says to me, "But those are the things that I love about you. Those, those are those are why I'm in a relationship with you because those are the bits that make you who you are." And I'm very lucky that I'm with someone who says those things and doesn't ask me to be anything other than what I'm. And doesn't I don't have to apologise for myself and stuff. But 
the way I think and the way I interact with art and culture is probably more from a homosexual standpoint, just because those stories interest me. So I think another question I'd like to ask about sexuality and gender and the relationship between the two. Do you think your realisation that you were gay and then your realisation that you were pansexual uh, changed your relationship with masculinity? Do you think one fed into the other? Yeah, I I think there was an element of that. Um, You know, David, the gay man, was very uh, feminine, I guess, very kind of, you know... um, whether that be kind of in the way he dressed or the way he presented himself, uh, whether that be putting on the makeup or putting on the mascara or wearing the tight fitting jeans or the the Cuban heels or whatever it might be that that he was like. But the David I am now, like, I would say is from the outside, uh, I'm more... (laughs) dare I say it I don't know what a more straight looking man and that's not a conscious decision that's not me consciously going right I'm going to now start dressing like this because I want to feel more manly or I want to feel like I'm that um I think I just shift I think it's just shifted I think there's not a need for me to 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 do to do all of that um extraneous stuff that I was doing in order to be accepted um and whilst I still do dress a little bit more flamboyantly than your average man, it's a, I, I, I present myself on a, as a man in a way that makes me feel comfortable, you know. Um, and I, I, I don't sort of adhere to anything in order to sort of feel more manly. I, I, I will wear things and present myself and do things that just make me feel like David now rather than being the camp one or being the manly I did go through a period of, of 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 really wanting to be manly I remember I think it was during that transition a little bit um I went through a period where I just boxed I went through <laughs> which is hilarious to think about now but I did I went through a period where, and you know what I actually really enjoyed it and I and it's something I would still like to do in the future but not because but I think at the time it was because right you know I want to feel strong I want to feel and I'm going through this shit time in my life I want to feel like I'm I'm combating it you know in, in the boxing um and, and and whatever that might be um but that was short-lived because I just think that actually I found other ways to kind of do that um whether that be walking or running or whatever it might be but um so I definitely think that one has affected the other in that sense, but it's not never been a, a, a real conscious decision. I just think it's, I think it's just the the nature of things, um, you know. I think and the, the relationships are in are in change that as well, you know. Um, I think I think that's really important. Um, that, that you know that, that it, it does it does change. Uh, depending on who you're with I mean my ex-partner was a very flamboyant person and and would wear like you know very flamboyant clothes and I think I was always trying to compete not compete with that but be at the same level so when we were out as a couple like it was like the the show was on do you know what I mean um we'd look we'd love to stand out and cause a scene 
Um, whereas now I, I, I much rather would try and blend into the background a bit with my coffee and a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, um, but there we are. That's, that, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> lots to unpack in that. I think uh, certainly I'm fascinated by that notion of camp dress and first and foremost i think some people just love wearing those clothes because that's who they are but i think there's it's kind of camp dress and flamboyance is a way of peacocking and letting other gay men know you're a gay man um yeah yeah absolutely absolutely chatted about this before as well that sense of uh it's also trying to look spectacular because we might still not feel spectacular or certainly didn't feel spectacular when we were younger and overlooked or looked at in a negative way i think that's linked a lot with uh campness and dress but i'm really struck by the fact as well that when you were having that i don't want to call it a crisis of sexual identity but that change in sexual identity it was dealt with unconsciously or consciously in that very masculine way of fighting through boxing i thought that was a really uh kind of striking striking thought when you were talking so as a final question to you if you could go back and talk to a younger incarnation of yourself uh, be that your six-year-old self who was kind of living their best life, playing Freddie Mercury, that 16-year-old self who was feeling that they had to perform a version of something to fit in uh, and felt a little bit bullied and ostracised, that excessive self in their 20s. Whoever you go back to, what advice would you love to give to a younger incarnation of yourself about masculine identity, gender identity, sexuality, whatever you'd like to give them? Gosh. Um... Wow. I think um, I would say to them to embrace every facet of, 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 what, of who you are. Embrace your campness, but also embrace your kindness. Embrace your love, embrace your creativity, embrace your musicality, explore it too. It's extremes if that's what you want to do, but don't feel like you have to pigeonhole yourself in order to fit in with what everyone else is telling you to do. Whether that that's people telling you that you need to be straight, whether that's people telling you you need to be gay, whether that's people telling you to be bi, whatever that might be. You can just be who you are and that is absolutely fine. Also, don't feel like you have to indulge loads as well in order to feel fulfilled. Try and find things in your life where you don't feel like you have to sort of be on a high wire of indulgence that could, you could trip off at any time. Um, try and find solace in the things that just make David happy, whether that be playing the piano or doing magic or um, reading or writing. Um, don't feel you have to rush at things. Don't feel that you have to commit to one way of thinking or one way of, of life. You just, just let things be and just let let things manifest the way they want to manifest and hold on to those people in your life and friends of yours that, that, that really do look out for your best interests. You know, those friends that don't listen just to respond, but listen to understand. And I think you'll be all right. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's quite a lot I'd say really, isn't there? <laughs> I guess. Well, I think that's great advice. Um, I, I'm, yeah, just incredibly proud of you and how much you've grown in the last couple of years uh, and incredibly proud that you're my friend. I think you're lovely and incredibly inspirational. It's been so lovely talking to you. So, David Whitney, thank you very much. Thank you, James. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for listening. This has been Mantor, the Masculinity Conversations, brought to you by me, James McDermott, and Story Machine Productions, with music by Jordan Mallory Skinner and produced by Sam Ruddock. We're keen to talk to anyone who wants to share their experience of masculinity. If you would like to be featured in a forthcoming episode, drop us a line at storymachineproductions at gmail.com.